वेलकम टू सिंटॉक द सिंटॉक इज अराउंड द टेबल टुडे डिस्कस द हायर ऑर्डर थॉट टूल्स यू विल थिंक अबाउट थिंकिंग कॉम्प्लेक्स थॉट्स एंड व्हाट इनेबल्स इट How is having a complex thought different from having a simple one? Is the mechanics of thinking content dependent? How is conflict handled in drawing inferences? How is complexity encoded in our language, brains and artifacts and are they interdependent? Is there a language of thought? how do we disambiguate do whales have vague thoughts what role does culture and context play how is cognitive capacity added do tools come before brain is thought above language and what is the very long term future of cognitive tools we are pleased and privileged to have three sin talkers with us here today Professor Vinita Dayal she is a linguist who works on semantics and the mapping from structure to meaning she is from Rutgers University Dr Nirmalya Guha he works on logic and epistemology he is from Manipal Academy of Higher Education and Professor Atsushi Iriki he is a cognitive neuroscientist working on human and non-human primate brain function and how they subserve higher cognitive functions he is from Riken Institute in Japan so vinita why don't we set the ball rolling with you um so just just in this notion of complexity does it make sense to try and distinguish however crudely to begin with what complex thought or let's say a complex sentence a complex articulation you can generalize it as much as you think is the most way of thinking about this uh so what's complex and what's simple at the level of thought at the level of language and maybe we'll open up a few flanks and go from there okay well first of all thank you for having us here this thank is, you for sounds coming. like a fun group i'm looking forward to exchanging ideas so what's a thought <laughs> yeah um well one way to think a complete there's an idea of a complete thought right a thoughts about the world around us maybe mm-hmm. so when you walk into the room you've actually noticed many things but probably you wouldn't want to classify them all as thoughts mm. uh one way to think about a thought is that it's something to which which is complete in some sense and to which we can say yes i agree or disagree or that's not true or that's true that's one way to think about it so suppose i was to say that chair is red mm-hmm. that is th- there's a predicate uh, is red and i'm saying i'm about something about something that's and that is something that we can all agree disagree or whatever so i would say that's a, i'm going to call it a com- simple complete thought is a proposition a predicate and whatever arguments that's the technical term we would use to say this is a predicate that applies to this 
object this predicate but it's it's it's, mm-hmm. it's quite interesting already because uh, you know you mentioned that as you walk into a room you notice a bunch of things but not all of them are complete thoughts uh, so uh, even the simple thought in this instance is it it's made already, up of things it's already complex right um it's it's some kind of a complex yeah, yeah. and yeah. in fact the fact that i named that a chair it's really not that simple because when you start to define you know how do you name objects is itself not a simple matter i'm kind of starting at the point where it's already a something with structure in it mhm and one can go from there to different levels of complexity so if i was to say okay that's a chair that's one level then i can say oh that that's a red chair mhm then i say red is a color that's already more complex because it's not about any one instance of something it's a little more abstract right i'm making a general property of the color red right or i can go syntactically complex and i say red is a color that adds brightness to things so right. now i've made the sentence not just about color but a color that has certain properties and i'm I've used and and again you're saying that it's not just semantically complex it's also syntactically This one is syntactically complex. complex maybe even the first one was and then I could even go complex in the maybe it's still that chair is red is syntactically uh, I use something similar but I said that chair could have been green mm and it's not that much more complex sy- syntactically maybe but I'm really not talking about what the actual facts are yeah but something else right yeah but we are all able to follow this possibility yeah that in another there's no if i said that chair could have been water that's not something anyone would accept right, right. so there are constraints right. on how far we're willing to go but uh, we are still talking at the level of propositions and people can agree they can say it's true they can say it's false how how crazily complex can such a thing as this go well let me say i could have said why is that chair red Mm. Now we are not talking proposition and that's not true or false. Mm. Now that's a discourse move and you might say we wanted it to be different from the other chairs because you know we are not talking about So are you saying that it's com- very complex just because it's a question or there, so we have what we call speech acts. Mm. A simple speech act was when I was making a declarative assertion that chair is red. Right. And to which people can agree or disagree mm, very simply by saying yes y- yes right yeah, yeah. but a question is a expression of what i don't know but i would like to know its answer will be a proposition maybe mm. right so we've already gone from saying a thought is a proposition with the uh, certain basic attributes to saying now as human beings we are asking and answering so we are using propositions constructs that have propositions in them to elicit complex uh, yeah so this becomes a complex speech uh, speech the dynamics is more complex than just not that assertion is that's nothing is that simple sure but it's one level up in terms of discourse moves interesting i think there's some good ideas there vinita and we'll we'll unravel them so if we go to the non-human primates sushi i mean do they have thoughts of this kind or well, what is complexity for you and if you think of it from a e- non-human even the simplest standpoint. one that just raised can be too complex for the non-human animals you know primates mm-hmm. but i'm in a position of comparative aspect 
of different species right. to, to exhibit this lineage of this kind of uh, mental function or thoughts in the brain. Mm-hmm. And I agree that these are very unique to humans and the non-human primates don't have it. But what is not unique is machinery subserving those functions, which is mostly our brain. And these are continuum. So the question here is that where this, I call it phase transition in a physics term, where this changed separately or discontinuously out of the continuous evolutionary history. And Atsushi, your point is in a way a point about evolution of the linguistic capacity. Is that your point? Well, any, I mean, I any, think... any, any capacity of the cognitive function, but the linguistics capacity represent uh, a very advanced advanced or representative of that kind of changes. Hmm. Hmm. So again, just going back to this and we want to do it a little simply. So a non-human primate and pick, pick your favorite one. I don't know. Which which ones you work? Macaque monkeys, Japanese macaque, macaque. monkeys, Japanese yeah. macaque monkeys. Yes. So, do they notice that this chair is red? I mean, it could be a tree. Do they notice that? I mean, is it, so is it the difference between conscious and subconscious? Oh, that's or, another big question. Yeah, yeah, but <laughs> but they I, should notice it, and if that difference makes meaning to their survival, yeah, value, yeah, they should notice. Otherwise, they will be killed. Right. So there must be some function to differentiate it, recognize it, but it's discontinuous from human linguistic function. Hmm. And 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 again, going back to the notion in which you might think of the notion of complexity, what would you, according to you, for the, for let's say just for the purposes of this discussion, what would a complex thought be? I think we have something from Vinita, but what would a complex thought be for you from your vantage oh, point? Oh, that's probably the layered structure or recursive structure that's this kind of structured logical is a logical structure mm-hmm. that's it's not simple causality mm-hmm. if they have a layered hierarchical structure of the causality that would be complex and so. the non-human animals can easily learn the simple straightforward causal relations if a then b kind of logics that's they always do. So the macaque monkeys would get this. So if you oh, yes. give this, this would happen. So simple stimulus response. No, not even the primates. Right. Other animals even, can do even that. Even the other animals. But I would say that it's simple. Hmm. And if you have a, a nesting structure of those logic, that can be complex. Hmm. And they have, uh, non-human animals have difficulty in doing that. Hmm. And we'll get to discussing how something like this might have evolved, which is a very interesting question by itself. What, what again? We'll we'll just try to have this notion of complexity again, Nirmalya. What might a complex thought be in 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 your head, from your vantage point, from from a somewhat more abstract standpoint? From my perspective, uh, the world out there, the reality, is understood. The simplest reality is understood as a trial. Even that is not simple in that sense. So there is a property. There is a property holder. And there is a relation between the two. Right. So, for example, when you look at this chair, it is this thing and chairness, or chairhood, the property, and some relation. It is inherent in this case. Right. And accordingly, when I capture it, so we we are like people who deal with Indian philosophies or 
you know, some traditional things. They're more interested in the cognition of it, not very much the propositional uh, counterpart of it, but the cognition. So if you look at the cognition of it, you know, similarly... By the, by the cognition of it, you mean how do we understand it? Uh, more than that, the moment I cognize it, whatever appears to me, right. the, the cognition that is formed in my whatever mind... Whatever happens after perception. Right. So this perceptual cognition right. also you know, has these three things, right? So property gets translated as a, as a qualifier. And mm. the thing, the property holder gets translated as, uh, as a qualificandum, if you borrow right. from Latin. And then the relation between them that is really there gets translated into a cognitive relation. So there are actually terms for all these things. So we call uh, visheshya, which is the thing that appears, and uh, then visheshana, which is the, the 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 qualifier, and the relation is called samsarga, which is the relation that appears in my mind, not out there. So the simplest thing could be this is a chair or this is a table, and then when I say this red chair is big, it goes you know one way up because now here. Even the the qualificandum becomes a structure. Now this becomes an embedded structure within another structure, right? Now even again, there's a little bit of a recursive character, right? Right. Nested within that. In the visheshya portion, in the qualificandum portion, also you see the trial once again because hmm. you are now you are now saying that this is this qualified by redness and they have a relationship and then that thing is big or small so it once again goes in a very complicated way so that so the simplest is the trio so but but i think the question is how universal is this trio i think what it it makes sense to think of this in many 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 contexts but are there exceptions are there exceptions to where this trio rule or this trio way of thinking about uh, any kind of cognition might break down or it's a reasonably universal framework to think about. I think this is reasonably uh, universal because that is how the subject-predicate structure also goes, right? In semantics, this is how they would look at it. So, if it is sets and memberships, so it would be the same thing. So, for them, maybe it is a it is a duo. It is the the set and the and the member. For us, it is a trial. It's the property, the property holder, and the relation between them. And this is obviously so, the level of cognition in Malaya. So I mean, beyond the point, it has nothing to do with maybe not not ever. It has nothing to do with the language. Oh, definitely. Language reflects that mm. cognition. So look at the sentence, this is a chair. It reflects the cognition, this is a chair. So whatever appears here is now expressed through language. So if one were a three-month-old infant and one had no notion of this concept, either the qualificandum or otherwise... What would so there would be no cognition? No, at definitely, all? even for a kid, even for the kid, the cognition would be the cognition. Yeah, it cannot verbalize it. That's a different thing altogether. But the trial, whatever the complex thing, is there. It is captured even by the kid. But the point is at, at some language of thought level or something. Of at, that at some thought level, but the point uh, now the the semanticist, the Indian semanticist makes is this. What is very novel about the sentence, this is a chair or this is a table, it is not this, it is not as, it is not a, it is not table. It's the glue that is born out of, you know, these words. So the meanings of the words rather. So this and as, they give sort of, this glue is a very novel thing to think about, this cognitive glue or this semantic glue. And they call this the real meaning of the sentence. 
So the meaning does not consist of the units. This is a table. It rather mainly consists of the glue. So is the glue the complex? The, more than that, it's like look at it. If I say that, yeah, I met Tintin the other day. This is a sentence you never came across, right? Even right. then, a but a glue is born now in your mind. The glue is innocence generated by those words, but they're not exactly those words. So what what is this glue for you as a linguist? I mean, all these non non noun non verb non adjective words. So I'm listening to you. I'm thinking that syntactic structure and compositional semantics. Right. What does that mean? Well. going back to your earlier idea that there's a thought that's independent of the words so i'm going to just mention a, uh, an experiment that i it's an old experiment i read about it recently so this is uh, sacks in 1967 gave people a sentence mm-hmm. john uh, hit mary that was in the sentence but a transitive sentence where there's a doer an action and someone to whom that action was affected and then they tested recall of that information right with two variants one uh, mary was hit by john or whatever was it, the passive version right which has more or less the same information but different syntax right and one where the the meaning was changed so mary hit john right and what they saw was that people could not differ- remember whether it was the active or the passive they had heard but they could Remember, Remember the semantics, it, this, of it, so the, the meaning of it. So I think one lesson one can draw from that. So, two one thing was there is a way in which we build structure. We put words. It's not just words individually, but the structure is what we have knowledge of. So that's syntactically putting them together in a certain order is meaningful in in English. But again, I think yeah. one probably has to be a little careful, Vinita. And obviously, mm-hmm. you know this much better than I ever will. of 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 its manifestation at the level of memory versus versus what how it happens at the level of that first cognition and i know it's all yeah, this is yeah. cons- process of constant refresh and so on and so forth one gets that yeah so i guess what i'm trying to um address is this issue of the thought that's in us hmm. and the relation to the language that prompts that thought it could be the other way around if i was the one making you know producing the sentence then you could say there's the thought and the language is expressing it right i mean so another so does 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 thought precede the uh, well uh, it depends if you're what's about what perception or production yeah. right people so language competence involves both mm-hmm. and uh, in children acquiring language that we um, either talked about earlier or they have found that language competence perception precedes production right so a child can react to a mispronunciation like if someone says fish for fish they might react to that even fish. though they are not yet ready right you know so there's it's almost like a joke the kid says no fish and the mother says fish no fish and <laughs> so they know what they're yeah. hearing they yeah. just So in That's a great some, point. So yeah, it's it, they've done d- a does lot. Does this does this mm-hmm. summarily prove that that or or again? I think one is always interested in exceptions and things of that sort. No, uh, so I think that uh, they're pushing the boundaries earlier and earlier. I think even they they think children, infants, newborn infants, um, 
perceive sounds in their own language differently or their mother's language, you know, like what they've heard in the womb. And they test it by the rate of sucking or the strength or intensity of sucking. Right. So we are learning better methodologies of probing what does it mean to know a language, right? It's right. There's perception. You can't deny that's part of, you know, if you're, let's say you can't speak. We all have uh, more knowledge of, say, a new language or say a language that's a, a somewhat different from your own. You can understand more than you can produce. Right. So that's part of... That's, that's again... Yeah, so language where, competence... Where are you on this, Atsushi? Mm-hmm. This, wow. this whole perception versus production... Well, I will think the other way around. Uh-huh. <laughs> the recognition or co- cognition of that red big chair, mm-hmm. I will say that's simple. You said that's uh, complex, right? Because it's easy for non-human primates to tell... A red r- chair from a... From a green chair, because it's a different content. Mm. So that's a kind of unified meaning to them. Mm. And I think that complex thing is to analyze it in a different domain of the meanings, the color and size and so on, that they don't do because it's meaningless for them. Right. And to analyze it is a complex procedure. And what you have described, linguists have described, is some, some kind of reconstru- yeah. reconstruction of the result of analysis. That may be complex, but... The non-human animals perceive it or co- recognize it as a whole from the beginning. And that's, we consider, consider it complex, but it's result of acquisition of language. And yeah. f- for the part of the speech, what you're saying is that, say, any language has SVO co- uh, combination, yeah, regardless of the order. Yeah. So when we record the neural activity from the monkey brain, Mm-hmm. There are a group of neurons that establish the equivalence between you are picking up the bottle and I am picking up a bottle. And this is the continuum burst of the neural activity representing you are picking up the bottle and I am picking up the bottle. Represent as a whole binded meaning. But gradually when the monkeys become more trained or advanced, they start presenting the neural activity that only represent mm. you and me, equivalence between you and me, or pick, or some kind of part of the speech. And if, the, if, uh, if there's three combinations of S, F, V, and O, they are combination of six combinations. And if they are all become interchangeable, that can, can be a general language. But as far as my ex- experiment tells, they have only four. So that's kind of sweet. They can handle only up to four combinations? Uh, I, f- I, I forgot for, uh, which combination was it, but it Sorry. was not fully uh, furnished six all combinations. Right, right. And from an evolutionary standpoint, um, obviously chairs didn't always exist in the world. Um, many, many years ago, we were there in some shape or form and we we're always creating artifacts. We are there was a point in time when there were no water bottles, there was a point in time when there were no mics, there was a point in time when there were no spectacles, and all of these things have come into the world in some way, and it's obviously very complex. So as we build and notice and label more artifacts around us, does something happen to our brain? Well, that is a naming behavior, I will call, Mm -hmm. to associate the things with the sounds. 
that can be, this is again through my experiment, can be associated in Japanese macaques. And that I, I called it the, the precursor of the namings. Right. And after it was recognized that things have the names, then you may want to combine it to compose a meaning out of it. So there's small bits of those precursors exist, already exist in the non-human animals, but it's just not combined to compose the human kind of languages. And if we stick to the humans alone for a brief while, and let's just think of tools, for example. Uh, many, many years ago, we just had some hand axes and some stone tools and so on. And obviously, over time, we've built lots of tools over several millennia. Has this changed our brain? Has that oh, yes, changed? Like, I, I found it. Has that process changed our cognitive capacity? Actually, at a neural level, has something happened to the nerve cells and how they're organized in new parts of the brain and things of that sort? Yes, again, my finding is that if I train the Japanese macaque to use tools, a kind of a rake to extend their reach, mm-hmm. the part of the brain that handles those uh, cognition and manipulation of the tools actually expands. It changes their brain size. But, uh, the, part of, uh, the size of the part of the brain. Right. But does that address the point that the number of words, the lexicon has increased, let's say, yeah. as we develop? Um, maybe does I think that was in, in, a, in a way that's also the question. Yeah. Yes, of course. That, so uh, I mean, I you know, as a linguist, I think we'll agree that lexical knowledge is open-ended. We always, you know, yeah. even you can always add words. You are adding words, and in our in any one of our lifetimes, we've added I don't know how many hundred words, right? Sure. Our knowledge of language, or what you were referring as the glue, glue. the combinatorial possibilities is what. Did, what uh, that's the primary the hin- knowledge yeah, yeah that's what defines that's more substantive and it's what distinguishes maybe qualitatively human language from possibly all other lang- uh, the communication yeah. systems of other um, species some of them are quite sophisticated but I think there are two properties that were design features that uh, a linguist uh, Charles Hockett, I think his name was. Who Charles said, Hockett. Mm. Yeah, one mm. is productivity because we can always make new sentences. Somebody sure. talked about that. And the other is displacement. We can talk about things that are not immediate to our survival. Right. You know, the counterfactuals, the fiction, the right. what could be. Right. And so those are two features that I think depend on a precise uh, ability to glue things together in different ways that it seems... Humans are the ones who, at this point, are the ones who have that. We'll let Atsushi confirm that. How, how, yeah, how? yeah there, I think there's a, one study, it's not mine, mm-hmm. but uh, they compared the si- brain size between the kids who have less vocabulary mm-hmm. and more vocabularies. Mm-hmm. And they found larger brain part size in more vocabulary kids, which is similar to your the area. And your Japanese yes, that's monkeys. Right. That's so interesting. And, and that that is area is far detached from the pri- we call it primary cortices that have a direct link with the physical outside world. Mm-hmm. So meaning that those area if though if those area expand, that carries a meaning detached from the real world. Then can be able to do imagine things which is non-existent. More abstract stuff. Abstract abstracting stuff. Why don't we go to the whole area of reasoning, Nirmalya? Um, because you know obviously there's perception and just noticing what's there around us but then once one has thoughts once one 
you know experiences or does things like displacement dealing with counterfactuals having lots of propositions you also reason about the world and how simple or complex is that process how does one deal with conflicts how does and what what is that world like uh there is a significant difference between um the way the western uh, schools thought about reasoning and about the classical indian philosophies thought about reasoning i, I think again i think as you talk about this nirmala it will be very helpful to think about so one uh, one is different systems of how you study something but presumably the way we think is not western or indian it's just one way of thinking yeah, i think but, but but the thing is you have to have a framework right and yeah, that, that's, uh, that's totally a matter cool. of your culture and history so it's very difficult to sure. sort, of, sort of separate yourself from the framework and then then talk okay let's so go i there. personally think that uh, when we reason uh once again i have been working on it for a very long time sure so my my <laughs> my, my 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 observation is when we think when we reason we don't do it axiomatically we mm. do not derive a complex thought from uh from other axiomatic thoughts mm. it's not like geometry mm. we just think <laughs> of something right and then we check whether that is all right whether something challenges that at every step right at every step so for example this is how so i i normally think this way so if i say that uh, well this hill has fire because it has smoke that is a reasoned statement right mm. now it it actually comes with three different claims one is this hill has smoke another one is anything that has smoke has fire right yeah. another one is this hill has fire these three different claims it has now after having uh, i don't know after having reasoned this way we check whether all these three claims are, are uncontradicted right. by yeah. the the structure of the world the right. universe whatever right. the semantic model the so professor dayal will uh, probably talk about that more <laughs> so definitely it cannot go unlike western logic it cannot go without the the universe the universe of discourse so everything has to be checked against the universe of discourse and we need to see whether and you mean what do you mean by universe of discourse you just mean reality or you it could be anything it could be a constructed universe it could be a real universe the point is the model you need to have a model but why do you think in that that checking doesn't happen in western logic like logic is formal right no logic is formal but when we use it for language to explain that is language semantics. that yeah, is yeah, semantics. semantics we do refer to this but that model. is not logic but I in that see, sense there the is no logic in india there is only semantics oh mm. i see so that's the distinction otherwise it doesn't work think. otherwise it doesn't because you have to have a model it can be an artificial one it can be the real one the point is nothing in the model so if you represent the model you know as a collection of statements no statement should contradict any of the of the claims you are making while saying this hill has fire because it has smoke so it's it's a pure algorithm nirmalya it's a pure algorithm the, the, i mean you don't have theorems which which absolutely uh, not so it is it has got constraints you know you should see how uh, you know it is unconstrained whatever you are claiming uh, does have associated claims each claim has to be unconstrained by the facts or the statements of your you know statements describing your universe if everything stands unchallenged uncontradicted then your reasoning is fine 
So I think this is how we normally think. We do not derive by using implications and or and if then and all and some and stuff like that. But rather we think and then we check whether anything is contradicted. Any part of my thought is contradicted by uh, some kind of fact or some kind of statement. So do the Japanese macaque monkeys think like think like this? Well, that's my question. <laughs> is the reasoning really matters or not? Probably non-human animals don't care about reasons. Yes. This I is the human so. kind of right. kind of instinct that we want re- the reasons. Right. Otherwise, we are not satisfied with it. Right. But to to survive in the environment, you really need reasons. You just accept the reality. And I think that's what the Buddhists say. I uh, do to think get so. free from the reasons. Yes. And the, somehow this reasoning instinct came from somewhere in our evolution in the brain. I think that's kind of one of the phase transition. And because of that reasoning, we need words and sentences very and true. structure. Very true. Yes. And that's a very artificial perception of the world. So would you say that, again, going back to the evolutionary question, that evolution of language, evolution of the linguistic capacity is kind of coterminous with evolution of reasoning? Well, that, that, I don't know. Uh, hmm. It's You know, what, what I said in the beginning is that this all human complex cognitive function is subserved by our primate brain, primate right. origin brain, right. and there must be continuum. And this uncontinuous phenomena, like language, reasoning, things, that came at some point of the brain expansion or of our ancestors. How different is our brain from, from let's say, the, the primates right behind us? Well, uh, that's a good question. The, pri- the principle of the brain expansion in primates mm. is bigger brain have, brains have more different areas. Mm. Mm. And more different areas can carry different things. They could have different functions. Functions. Right. And more brain area have m- much more inter-area connections. Right. That makes some emergent properties. Right. In contrast, like a rodent brain, the rats and mice, and so, if their brain become bigger, there's a huge rodent called capybara in South America. It's like 100 kilograms. They capybara. Have capybara. 100, ki- <laughs> 100 kilograms. 100 and, kilograms. And, and their brain is like a monkey brain. Mm-hmm. But... Those are just analogous inflammation of the small It's just mice enlarged, brain. the enlarged part. En- enlarged of analogous. So they don't really acquire additional cognitive functions. Uh, the, they don't acquire at least uh, additional brain areas. Actually, it's additional so brain areas. Which so, so, so coming back to your question is that... It's si- not just a question of size. The size matters. Hmm. And how the size is expanded really matters. Hmm. And the human lineage of the primate brain has a principle that have more different areas when the size expanding. Hmm. And as I told you, if you train, acquire the new function like tool use or something like that, the brain actually expands and give rise to similar but a slightly different area around existing areas. And at some point, if they are combined, then come to the human specific so-called human specific trait, including language and reasoning and so on. So, uh, I mean, I guess related to this point earlier we were talking about expanding lexical knowledge and that um, correlates with expansion of a certain part of the brain 
but knowledge of language is actually located in different parts. Specific language abilities are located in different parts of the brain, not just one. There's so not. So, what do you mean by uh, specific language capabilities? Such so, for what? example, there are people who may lose. Uh, it, this has been studied with brain injury, for example. Mm-hmm. Brain injury to a certain part of the brain may affect lexical recall. So you may not remember the word. Your syntax will be perfect. So if you're speaking English, you'll say subject, verb, object. Right. And you're speaking Hindi, you'll still have subject, object, verb. Right. But you'll struggle for words or you'll mispronounce words. Right. Injury to another part may not affect lexical knowledge, but may affect your ability to put the words in the right structure. Right. So syntactic knowledge or this ability to put together the words. I think this goes back to Nirmalya's point that you may have this and you may know the red and you may know chair, but it's the putting together this red chair that makes sense. Mm. And, you know, it's possible that there are areas of the brain that can re- can understand however you want to represent this and chair and uh, red, but... It's a different area that is responsible for knowing how to put it together in language X. So even even the linguistic capacity or the language capacity yeah. is complex. Yes. Sub, sub e- even at the physical sub- level. Even at yes. the physical level. Yeah. And as you start mapping it. Right. That's why I said inter-area connection is yeah, important. So, so there's no single language mm-hmm. area or so, there's no yeah. single tool-use area. Mm-hmm. It's all networks. Mm-hmm. And the tool-using and language share the core network f- structure. But periphery is different. So that's why the many higher quantity functions co-evolved the feed, positive feedback from each other and then gradually suddenly you, came, came about. And as you adapt into the environment that you're in, your brain evolves and you change the environment around you and all kinds of things happen. I think the interesting thing to me, Vinita, and I don't know if you agree, is that it's amazing that the brain structures itself, but somehow it looks like there's a tendency for even the language to structure itself, right? So, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess. So, yeah. So mm-hmm. it's it's not like language is just anything. We have already spoken of some kind of a glue that is right, some kind right. of a syntax. Oh, absolutely, language. In fact, the linguist might go so far as to argue that that's what's language—the ability to put it together. Mm. It's this. No, that's a little too. Uh, dismissive of the first part i think the naming <laughs> is is where it starts right mm-hmm. so but i think the linguist will say when does when is language acquisition complete in a child let's yeah, say when we're it's born, when what are we innate with right we are innate so we are innate with clearly something some right? structural some understanding some predisposition the brain structure is ready for language input and that predisposition is not to learn new labels no not just labels so i guess what i want uh what i might where i might have misspoken is to say that's not like no labeling is very much a part of language but it's not the end of it's neither necessary it's not a sufficient condition i I think the question Mm. to make it sharper is what does one innate with when one is born so if i was born in chile versus japan versus india you learn different words but hopefully the innateness is not very different no so i think what that is the part that has to be learned because it's arbitrary right whether it's called chair or whether it's called kursi right it could have been anything what would be innate a linguist would say is that the words have to be structured a certain way. Simply put, let's say a verb will first combine with object before it combines with subject. Let's say 
you you know accept some such principle mm-hmm. then whether it will that will be universal let's say whether the object will come to the left or the right that depends on the language mm. so if you learn if the child is exposed to english they will put or um, yeah english they would put verb before object but japanese or hindi they'll put object before verb but so but in a sense all that learning is entirely arbitrary i mean you could have learned something totally different depending on what you were exposed to exactly so mm. that it's by, partly biologically triggered because you won't get that you won't reach that phase before you're two or some such you know right. where you, you a four month old baby is not going to be there because they maybe their tongue you know they don't have the motor skills yet What, where but where are you on this innateness question, Nirmala? I, I was actually. <laughs> yeah, I was going. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure we'll get something interesting. See, I, I, uh-huh. I just want to mention two yeah. uh, two thinkers uh, yeah. in this context. One is called Jayanta Bhatta. He was a Kashmiri mm-hmm. philosopher, seventh century philosopher. He said something very, 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 very beautiful. He said, "Look, there was there was another model of language acquisition and language understanding. That was the inferential model. That is, when somebody says there." is a cow i infer there means that is means that a means that and cow means that right and also i know this person is not lying so i i i add together those things and i infer the whole meaning so where is you know where is language then language the entire linguistic faculty gets reduced to inference there is nothing more than that right because i just infer there then is then a and cow from the words you are saying right Now Jayanta says here look that's absolutely wrong because had that <laughs> been the case then even how, if he mixed things up yeah, he says abhinava shloka adi shravanam so when you hear a new verse yeah. how is it you are understanding not just that you can infer this and you can you get you can infer as and a and and snake mm-hmm. you cannot infer the glue exactly this this uh-huh. glue is ve- so this this is called samsarga so oh. so this glue is this is very very important and then i would like to mention another so you cannot infer the glue that's you cannot infer the glue that is given so that is one thing and the second thing is this is one thing in i quote uh, a 10th century philosopher called prakash atman he said language has got a great defect the defect is if i somehow can produce a syntactically correct sentence then it will make sense <laughs> even if it doesn't obtain in the world mm-hmm. because of the glue mm-hmm. so language in a sense becomes an independent entity you know it has got no, it almost it's like it your eye nothing to do with the world right it's like yeah. your eye it's like oh, your no, ear no 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 it does have something to the how do you make a joke because there's a i should, probably shouldn't <laughs> take it there but it's we know where what deviates we are able to go there of course and enjoy yeah. it even yeah you understand the violation you understand the of violation course. but the norm has to be there to see that it's a violation yeah. right? right so uh, you know so i think your your the point the point is it transcends yeah 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 transcends Once the reality got, yeah, it yeah. creates yeah. you know it something cannot all be just learned it right info from what you hear so and that's even it. if i say yeah. i mm-hmm. saw a round square the mm-hmm. other day yeah. you understand what exactly. i said how did you yeah. it doesn't so it, i i think the other mm-hmm. way to put this is that then what is not allowed so for, for, what are the constraints at the level of structure 
what are the constraints or what are the no go areas at the level of the glue syntax <laughs> syntax syntax so, so what are the constraints of syntax is the question that she should answer that if one can say anything hypothetical and it makes sense which is kind of beautiful then yeah so the constraints are the level of syntax so what no what, both what, what, i th- i think i would disagree a little bit because there are constraints on syntax places constraints but so does semantics which is the famous colorless green right. idea sleep furiously right. chomsky yeah. chomsky's chomsky. famous sentence because syntactically it's perfect the syntactic right. glue is perfect but yet we find it something odd because the meanings of the individual words are not mapping but, up but, but no right? i think the question yeah. is I mean, there there aren't an infinite range of syntaxes that right, are right. permitted yeah, or that yeah. exist it, it, that yeah. that is so, you making but at the level of understanding it makes perfect yeah. sense that no, no, i could say that yeah. this sentence but, is not good so to give a simple example again this is not something that i necessarily can give the specific argument for but for example a, a universal would be no language simply takes a predicate and two arguments like in the language of thought we do perhaps mm-hmm. when we simply say okay here's something that is actually even there you have an order right a saw b mm-hmm. b b need not see a right so yeah you need two people and you because the verb see has or at least two arguments two objects but whether i think it comes if, in yeah. so a linguist th- will say that no language will put the verb and the subject together before it puts the object let's say i think the that question a, is that you know i think linguistics tries to understand language mm-hmm, mm-hmm. now the question is whether it tries to understand or it has things to say only about the human language or is it about language in general so if if one makes a point that there is something more general about language and what i mean there is something called language that exists in the world and i mean whether or not it collides with the world how it in- intersects is another question so if we go to the japanese macaque monkeys or whatever i mean other kinds of life forms even approximate to us uh, is there is there something that that helps that that your knowledge carries there does, does your knowledge of linguistic structures and semantic structures syntactic well, structures does something i think you uh, there is this idea how can't language be how can't so even human language let's set aside for the sure. moment even human languages let's say all languages must have a way of combining with one argument at a time so hierarchically you will have one sub uh, one argument that has primacy over the other and you can see it with and there there are grammatical expressions that are sensitive to this so uh, for example himself mm-hmm. you can't say himself saw john mm. but you can say john saw himself mm. and the linguist will say you will find no language i'm being a little um i think on this i'm probably safe <laughs> but uh, no language will be such that will only allow himself saw john with the same allow that yeah right. it'll say i'm a language that puts subject below you know whichever way you think about it subject and verb first and then i look for who himself could refer to 
no language will do that so there has to be something metaphysical about a pro- uh, something of this nature because all kinds of languages have evolved over a very very long period of time and that's the interesting thing that's crazy. they have all evolved but all of them if this u- universal is true that no every language will have some way of saying john saw himself but not himself saw john to mean the same thing which means that subject you know this is a universal then logically why not we could have had any combination any way of you know putting two arguments together especially when they mean the same they are referring to the same person right what are there, been, are there any insights well uh, from com- from your work or whatever you might yeah. have thought of sushi the conversation came to the structure of mm-hmm. the language mm-hmm. but it's it's too complex for to study in the non-human animals right but if you we think about origin of language and how it came about we need to think about the function that language is carrying right. and then we can infer from the non-human animals there are two two functions for language i think one is for communication to share the meanings or something whatever with other to impart uh, and exchange information exchange information mm-hmm. and also based on that faculty think something logically even though it's simple and in that sense we can study the vocal communication in non-human animals to like make bird song a bird song and there's a whale sings and there's several species that can communicate but they don't have grammatical structure it's right. often mm-hmm. the simple call but can carry the mm-hmm. the information about right. emotional content mm-hmm. or, or where the food is or yeah. something like mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. that is possible and to share the common meaning those individual have to learn how to produce the sounds the so called vocal learning cultural as well atsushi the culture thing mm-hmm. the, that's start forming the culture So mm. then recently there's evidence that the vocal in whales mm. the vocal communication formed their foraging culture and that foraging culture leads to the genetic speciation of the different whales it's just published last year so that means that that's so beautiful those linguistic or say vocal communication faculty changes form the culture and that leads to the genetic changes and they so in this case behavior of some sort which is culture has preceded or precedes yeah, pre- influence so, so that's revolutionized the evolution theory hmm. the evolution classical what we call classical evolution theory is combination of the mutation right. and then selection afterwards by the natural conditions right. but in this sense the culture forms the environment right. and that interactions assimilate right the Or genetic change back loop back into yeah. uh, either the level and in this sense we can regard vocal learning and the social the emotional or whatever social calls production can be initial step for evolution language and nothing have been studied in the brain so far in, in this lineage but there is possibility that we can pick up where the phase transition happened hmm. after this course and i think the humans are unique in a sense that we have a large enough brain to carry all those network informations which is not possible it was not possible for other species because of the principle brain design principle is different and it was only primate lineage enabled it was i think it was not designed this way from the beginning but it happened to be useful 
and eventually reaching at the Homo sapiens or homo, kind of Homo's lineage exceeded the threshold for this phase transition. That resulted in our language. And obviously, we built our own niches along the way, and obviously, all kinds. And of it was beneficial and... for uh, for us to survive. So, how is I don't know if you've thought about this, but the whale brain it definitely has size. It's much larger than ours. Um, but it, it looks like it's organized from very different principles, as you're pointing yeah, out. Yeah, that's. So, uh, I think it's not studied that far. Hmm. I, uh, short answers. I don't know. And but but if we fast forward this, you know, and make it up five hundred million years, one billion years, presumably we are all evolving. All kinds of organisms are evolving. Uh, yeah. Another thing is that the coevolution with the tools, making tools and evol- uh, manipulating yeah. the tools. Yeah. Well have no ability of using or making the tool with their morphological configuration of the body. They don't have anything which is the equivalent of a limb. So they cannot use, well, they can use their beak to squash something, but it's too simple to come to the human level of true use. And only non-human animals that skillfully use to is avians, uh, birds or crows that can use tools, but their brain structure is completely different. So they might not have a chance to evolve the language, the human level language. So do we have, and for a second, I, I use the word we for homo sapiens, for all of us and people like us. Do we have an irreversible edge? Because of over a period of time, you've just evolved into being what we are. We have limbs and a bunch of, a bunch of morphological features. And it doesn't look like the whale can catch up. I mean, they can continue to evolve. But uh, is, is this an irreversible edge? So fast forward this another five billion years. I mean, hopefully, we some some kind of species always around. I don't do, do think ca- so. Do catch ups happen? Do does it happen that some species leapfrogs another in terms of its capabilities in the general sense? Well, for evolution, you can never predict the future. Of course. It's it's, Always accidental combination of the accidental happenings, mm. and I think humans are very much lucky and have a combination of this skill with the skill to, to use vocal learning and brain expansion by the aerial duplication and so on. And in that sense, humans are very unique, and this is not known at all yet. I want to find it. <laughs> <laughs> all the best to you. Let us know when you find it. How how is artificial language different? Do, does it have does it have some of the characteristics that uh, Vinita you've been speaking about? One thing is the glue. <laughs> they all have they all have the the glue. That is one uh, very important thing. And then artificial languages. Uh, because I think what's amazing about language is that it it's able to talk about itself. Right. It's, that's crazy, isn't it? But artificial languages. Cannot go to the meta level anyway. So, you're talking artificial language, not invented languages. Or? No, artificial, no. artificial languages. languages. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's very strange that uh, the human language is reflexive. All the time it can talk about itself, but the artificial languages can't. So you need logic, then meta logic, then meta meta logic, and stuff like that. But uh, you can do all that. Look at uh, Indian logic. All of it is done in Sanskrit, which is sort of a natural language. And they never wanted any uh, artificial language to talk about uh, all the meta levels. It, it's all done in a natural language. It's all language. a part of it. 
all part of the natural language. So I think that's very, very Why strange. Why did you say it's sort of a natural language? I'm just curious. I Isn't said because it's, it's, it's also a, a lot like artificial language. I believe it? that it's yeah. a natural language, but some people don't. <laughs> oh, I, <see. laughs> oh, I just wonder, is it because it's not kind of... Uh, used in common households in no, right. right. not just in that sense but you know there's this thing going around that sanskrit is very close to artificial languages like to the comp- computational languages and so on but i, I would know. say it it's can do both yeah like so uh, it has it has the complexity of uh, an artificial language a meta language at the same time it it is a natural language you yeah, can it has all the design properties of everything, uh, everything natural language that everything know, it has yeah a human child who's exposed to sanskrit being spoken around her she will that's what she will pick up right, right? so right, i don't right. see i mean what 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 makes language reflexive is is it even possible to um to to answer that question well i you know i think this idea of displacement the ability to talk about not just you know what's needed for survival what's here and now mm. i think that must be the point at which you can talk at one level up right you're not just commenting on the things that you see in the world but you and of course it's related to our cognitive capacity to think of alternative ways of being right like hmm. possible worlds or you know this we everything else could be the same i can change one variable and we can all imagine that right so i think that is what probably gives us the ability to stand back from and use the same language to talk about how else it could be or why it is the way it is which is perhaps again something distinctive from you know languages of uh, other species that are basically driven by survival needs of not all of it i think but still primarily but why that is the case must be about how or do you have a clue i think uh, it is it is basically because our natural linguistic unit can refer to a thing that is one step below it one step so, below it one mm. step below it so for example when i say run it it's a word but it doesn't denote itself it denotes you so i can talk about the word run it so you see i so, i go so one again, step go, up so it's symbolic right because it is representative and i in in artificial language i don't know how to create this so i i need to have some meta language and stuff like that but in natural language but i can wh- wh- talk wh- why why can't object oriented languages do this that i don't know why uh, artificial languages do not have the merit of uh, a natural language it doesn't sound natural for an artificial language to talk about the words of its own uh, you know uh, its own stock for example that's the reason you have first order predicate logic and second order predicate logic where a predicate talks about other predicates right where a predicate variable ranges over predicates in a lower order language but in and uh, this can have infinite loops right you can just keep going on to nth order predicate you logic. can you can yeah. you can have nth order predicate logic but the point is in natural language i can say look at the word ronit the word ronit has got two syllables ron and it right so this way it it's very natural to to do things like that so the understanding is you use a word it go one step below and it will pick a reference so that that general law i think does a lot of things do do the non human primates think symbolically at all 
at all. Well, to some extent, they claim, the researchers claim that they can. But there it's may not be an anticipation of something symbolic. Obviously, they probably don't use it yeah. in this sense. And what do you mean when so you say they claim? Um, well, you can, it's not symbol, it's like, like icons or sign. You mm. can associate some meaning with some abstract things. Mm. And if it can become arbitrary and interchangeable, it becomes more symbolic. But mm. not to that extent, uh, people have been successful. And coming back to this artificial language story, I think that the one peculiar thing about a human natural language is very illogical. Yeah. <laughs> and the, we, the, the, the animals are, non-human animals are very serious. They never be <laughs> illogical. If they, 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 they violate the logic, they'll, they, they cannot survive. So they have to be absolutely logical. But the humans often <laughs> make mistakes and sometimes are willing to make, make mistakes like playing. Yeah. That's, is not risking our survival, probably protected by some other structure. Right. And I think this is a clue that humans have advanced. So this being illogical and making mistakes sometimes come to the new, <laughs> new truth, which is not recognized before. And this is too dangerous for non-human animals to challenge. It's better being conservative. And but again, uh, you can make mistakes at, at the level of language or at the level of linguistics, because again, as you say, it doesn't threaten your survival it does not happen at the level of the biological functions it doesn't happen at the it only well, happens at the la level of language I would imagine well a typical example is, is called stimulus equivalence in psychology mm -hmm. if the, you can train the animal if A then pick up B right. kind of logic right and in humans we often make mistake if you're presented by B you pick up A right it's like if you see show the apple Right. And associated with the sound apple. Right. And then if you have heard the sound apple, then you pick up this apple thing. And in non-human animals, you have to train independently. Mm. This is very logical. Mm. But I think this illogical combination, association of the completely different, you know, apple, material apple and sound apple is the basis of language, which is too risky for non-human animals. Somehow, to some point, the human social and environmental structure allowed this to take over the risks? I would say, I would take a little exception to the word illogical because I kind of believe language is logical. However, I think we have pragmatics that allows us to infer beyond just what the logic, simply what the logic gives us, right? Mm. So if I tell you I have, I, I have a daughter, you will... You might infer I have only one daughter. I didn't, logic, I, logically, you're not being illogical in the sense that there's an inference there that is pragmatic based on why we are communicating. If I'm introducing myself, I'm giving you information, then I'm it's uh, plausible to expect that I'll give you full information, right? So if I have two daughters, I should have said two daughters. But it's not because you're being illogical, but you're using pragmatics to see, what I said was, I have at, technically, or at least people would, uh, some people would argue that it allows for both in both readings that I have exactly one, and I have at least one. Right. But the communicative context is one where I that would be so this one kind where of would, vagueness is allowed. It, so it's not vague. It's not vague in the sense that suppose it was a um, the context was such where 
people who have a daughter should sign up for this because there's some program right a daughter yeah like all you need is one daughter this is at an odd one. example yeah. at least one and there <laughs> if i said oh yeah i have a daughter you would not infer that, that i only have one. only one yeah and therefore it's not really logical it's that the logic of a daughter allows for one or more right and then the context is such where you thought i gave full information right and so i would say it's not we are using actually logic but it's what uh, even very young children sometimes don't have the pragmatics mm. they have the logic mm. and maybe you can train the animal uh, you know to on the logic part of it but not so you much on the pragmatic. Them to be pragmatic maybe that's but so it's not that i'm disagreeing with you sure, it's just sure, the sure. word that i'm taking complex. a slight uh, i'm saying a linguist a semanticist might take issue with the word illogical <laughs> but change it by saying i don't, i, I think that sushi didn't want to hurt you <laughs> no 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 i'm trying to understand though this is great i'm trying to understand too and as you were saying my first reaction was no 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 but then i thought oh it's the pragmatics logic texture that's maybe that on which we are, we would agree so what's the future what's the future where is all of this headed is there is there some kind of a limit to how complex things can get nirmalya is there a limit is there some kind of intrinsic limit to complexity of thoughts or it i don't think i don't think because then Uh, i will be jobless osenos <laughs> 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 occupation gone because you know <laughs> there are complexities and uh, clearly everyday... you believe that the world is configured to keep you in your job oh Nibali. yes yes <laughs> <laughs> i don't know one could look at the history uh, of how languages develop do they really develop new more ways of the so what are, what are what yeah. are so uh, again you know we've thought about this in a few yeah. ways but we think of language the different kind of linguistic features and obviously they didn't come up the same day right, they've come right. up over a period of time yeah. so but what's the most recent linguistic feature i mean it's not I, a that's what not, i'm trying to think and I'm, what could the next one be is the question i actually don't like i'm thinking you know i'm not a historical linguist sure. but I, from you know my uh, not college little days. No, college yeah. days so to say i don't think what i've seen is oh languages develop uh, you know Um, features in, x at this point feature yeah, y at this I point think, uh, mm. it's a natural once it becomes as we talked a little bit about uh, earlier but uh, not today but sure you know when when a new language evolves it really evolves within a short period it takes on all the complexity that we associate with natural in the glue part of it that we've right. been calling i don't know that but i mean know, there's we, there's so many languages out there there yeah. are fewer language families are there some language families that have some linguistic features which are totally unlike others because that could be one way of yeah, no, thinking it, about this in details they may differ right so we uh, but one is obviously talking about principles a little bit but principles no it's not that therefore they can express ideas or that thoughts that the others can maybe they have a different way different structure that carries that meaning as opposed to this structure so by extension vinita all human languages can express all thoughts um let me say yes even if it's a it's a little crude but it's it a, yeah and people might argue about you know is it exactly that particular thought the exactly nuance changes sense, yeah but it's not that you're handicapped for oh my god my language doesn't have structure x so forget it there's no way i can translate i'm a bilingual i can only think this thought the packaging is different a little bit but i don't know where are you in this nirmal it's a very mm-hmm. interesting question are there can all languages 
express all thoughts or are there some kind of thoughts that you, you know where i'm going with this i, I would put it this way if and language a can express a thought then language b can do the same but there are translinguistic thoughts so this mm. is the way this is the way i would put it what Not is a translinguistic thought uh, everywhere for example if you look at once again uh, uh, thoughts that are you know ecstasy look at the the experience of saint teresa Hmm. it could be expressed right some kind of a revelation you know up on the sotriological side look at the indians urge for something called moksha so the moment you talk about the enlightenment the final enlightenment you say that yato vacho nivartante right the words come back along with the mind without reaching that right so uh, this is very much like i believe that there are things uh in in the world in there are our thoughts that language right. cannot express but then they are not linguistic you know yeah. it's so much beyond language but if there is a thought language a can express then language b would do the same thing so that's what i believe well my evolutionary way of thinking yeah would answer that language and thought coevolves mm-hmm. if there is a new kind of the thoughts emerge that need required a new language and that that can be expanded by new language new thoughts and that can happen in the future like uh, maybe the example is like abstract mathematics right that the formula is like language and it's not possible to describe by any other natural languages but mathematicians regard this as a language expressing a new kind of the thoughts and at that some point that kind of thing can happen repeatedly i, I don't know there's a limit or not but uh, But you're talking of qualitatively different type of thought. Uh, yeah, that's not just yes, a, yes, right. Yes. It's got to be something that yes. you and I, and can ex- as we can't quite, yeah. So this, this imagine cert- what that would be. So right this now. certain mathematician yeah. has a different yeah. thought, but it can only be experienced in, in certain and, kind and of mathematics. We, we, we cannot reach that kind of the thought by existing language, but at some point of the coevolution and phase transition happens, and that recognizes a new thought, and that requires a new kind of language. and i think this can be reasonably happen so we'll end with you at sushi and i know you mentioned that these things are very difficult to say we're eventually talking about evolution but again as we think of the future what could the triggers or rough areas of the next kind of phase transition be like take a guess obviously it's it's not like you have it in your pocket and you have to just take it out well it's difficult <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I, th- I think that's a good note to end this on. Thanks to all of you for making it and we look forward to having you soon again. Thank, Thank you. you. Take care. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.